CoinWorld Plus is your new way to collect, manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at CoinWorldPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the CoinWorld Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Hello again and welcome to the Coin World Podcast. It's great to be back here once again with you and uh, talking about numismatics. It's exciting time to be involved in the hobby. I'm Larry Jewett. And I'm Jeff Stark, and we are fresh back from the Central States Numismatic Society Convention uh, in Schaumburg, Illinois. In fact, we got to see several of you listeners at the show, and if you couldn't get there, boy, you missed a good one. And that's part of it. I mean, the opportunity to have the experience, we were set up at the Coin World Plus booth. They were uh, kind enough to give us some space to uh, basically just kind of uh, do our business, whatever we needed to do. And I, this is the first time I've spent a little more time at the table and possibly a little less time out on the board floor. But it was so great to kind of be there and have folks come up and uh, make mention of the fact that they do listen to the podcast. We're, and we're grateful for that. Even if you didn't get the chance to come and see us in Schaumburg, we're grateful that you are listening and hope that you can continue to listen to us. Subscribe to it where possible. And again, our thanks to Coin World Plus for not only hosting us, but also providing some support for this show. Well, I know that I, you know, we, we talked about this. It was my first Central States, but uh, I understand you're really not that much of a veteran either, are you? No, uh, I do remember going to the Central States show in 2007 because that was held in St. Louis. And interestingly, it, it was held at the convention center in uh, downtown St. Louis, which is you know, I, I love St. Louis, but there's, you know, certainly then uh, more so folks would go downtown, but even then not as many folks would go downtown. So a lot of the, the big shows regionally are held out west of the airport in, in St. Charles. And, um, you know, I enjoyed it and good venue, but it was kind of um, interesting because at the same time, uh, part of the show was going on then in 2007, folks from my alma mater were uh, at a graduation ceremony where uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi was presenting. And so that <laughs> that clogged uh, the traffic in the convention center. But I don't I don't think I've been to any other central states show. It's possible I was in there one or the other after that. But I certainly had never been to the location in Schaumburg. And I do like that location. Um, it was a little bit um, of a walk to it's not that much, though, really, to get to from the convention center to the hotel to the the parking lot uh it's all relatively handy and accessible free parking uh it was just it's just a nice venue and and um i think a lot of folks shared that opinion yeah and that's uh, that's the thing about it is i mean i remember back when we were talking to larry shepherd 
here on the podcast and talking about some of the ins and outs and the inner workings of putting on a convention and what all is involved with it. And uh, this location, that this one, I mean, the hotel was adjacent. There was a hallway because there are a section in the uh, Schaumburg Convention Center. There are two main meeting areas and you had to pass the one to get to the uh, Discovery Hall where the coin show was being held. But that's okay. I mean, there was a prom or something going on in between the two, but it wasn't that far of a walk. And when you were going from the hotel to the convention center or back, it was all, I mean, all enclosed. You didn't have to go out in the weather. I griped when I got there on Wednesday night because it was 35 degrees, 20 degrees colder than it was in Fairbanks, Alaska. But just the idea that, you know, I got into a cab, I got to the hotel and there's the hotel, there's the convention center. It's so perfect right there. And uh, the amenities there, and if you wanted to go off campus, for lack of a better term, within a mile, you had many other entertainment opportunities that you could take advantage of. And so you look at the whole experience, not just the hours of the show. You're there for 24 hours. What are you going to do with the rest of that time? And there were plenty of social opportunities that were made available through the planning that was done here. There were plenty of nearby areas where if you wanted to get away from the environment and have a quiet dinner or a quiet time with some of the people that you'd met there or some of the customers, whatever the case may be, you had those options. In some cases, you may have even wanted to try out a uh, an iconic place that required a little bit of a drive that you actually had to get into Chicago to go to a uh, certain restaurant of 1948 uh, era that, uh, I don't know, can we mention the, where we went for dinner that night? Hot dog, I think we can. <laughs> Yeah, it was a great experience to kind of get, you know, you you watch some of these food-related shows and you see places that are featured on some of those shows. You want to try to get there when you're in the neighborhood. And I uh, I was, uh, thanks to uh, you and Don Perlman, I was introduced to Superdog. And, um, you know, I'm going back. I, I You know, I wouldn't be surprised if I don't venture over there. When we go to the ANA's World's Fair of Money in August, because it was a great, it was a great affordable meal. I'm sure they're going to love it on the expense report. But the uh, the bottom line was, it was a uh, true Chicago tradition, and I had the opportunity to do that. We had a couple of other good meals while we were up there, and again, it's uh, it's more about attending the coin show. But the fact of the matter is, when you put a convention together like that, you have to be concerned about all the uh, all the other aspects of it too, because. This was the first time back for a few years because of the pandemic, new convention manager, getting everybody into the swing of things, getting into the flow of things. And, uh, you know, for the most part, I would have to say there was a lot of positives coming from it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there are so many dealers seem to be thrilled with the business that they did. Obviously, shows anymore tend to be more wholesale than retail, but um, there there seemed to be a decent amount of retail activity. Thursday, first day of the show for public, was really robust, and um, Friday and Saturday not as strong, but still decently strong. There were some times, you know, yet yeah, it looked um, a little lighter attended, but honestly, my goodness, it felt happening. It felt like there was a decent crowd and uh, good business going on. And there certainly were a lot of folks, you know, saying that and, and experiencing that. I know, I mean, there's, there were several tables that I tried to get into to see the new wares. And it, it took going back several times because they were just 
you know, they just had crowds and uh, I have nothing negative to say in that regard. When you have an expanded area, when you have a, a greater amount there, it tends to spread things out. And so then you could have the same number you had previously, but if you're allowing them to be a little more uh, spread out, then it doesn't look like the same number. Now, I, I will say that uh, the, the disappointing thing was the fact that some folks didn't stay till the end. Some folks packed up early, and so any of the late arrivals may have, uh, you know, may have missed out on opportunities. Of course, they're there to do business. That's their choice. I get that. But uh, and some of the smaller uh, benefit, the smaller dealers may have benefited from this because they were there with their wares and they had an opportunity to uh, compete, so to speak. And then on the final day of the show, there was probably about one third of the uh, people that were there on Thursday and Friday that weren't there on Saturday. Obligations, whatever the case may be, it's a case by case basis. Everybody has their own, you know, own way of running a business. It doesn't have to be because I don't like it. But it's just the idea that, you know, on the final day when the public would tend to show up a little more, they were left uh, a little bit short of the experience that somebody else might have had. So, I mean, you can look at it. It's it's point counterpoint on a lot of that right there. And here again, the persons who subscribe, get their tables, they they make the commitment and they know what the uh, what they intend to do. And that that's fine. But, you know, it's just an observation. It's not going to change. I mean, I go back to the swap meet days back in the racing days where the final day of a show meant that everybody was kind of cutting prices so that they didn't have to haul the stuff home. Well, you're not going to find that on the final day of a show like this. That's not going to happen. Not so, as much. <laughs> no, that's that's not going to happen. I mean, we're not talking about dragging home wheels and tires and things like that because, I mean, a lot of inventory just gets packed up and sent back home. So, it's just the idea of the mindset that goes along with it. It takes some getting used to. Somebody new into the hobby may not understand it. Somebody who's been in the hobby for some time is clearly going to understand it. So it just comes down to, you know, the expectations. But I, I will say this much right now. I was very happy to see on the final day a lot of families, more families on that final day because there were couples with uh, one or two kids and they were uh, taking part in the treasure hunt and, and the things that were made available to them that day as well. You know, it got me the idea of uh, some of the car shows we used to go to where they would have special women's activities, not to say that women can't be collectors, but sometimes an activity that's not directly related to what the subject of this is might be enough to entice uh, someone, a couple that where the, the man is more into the, the coins than the lady is. Brandon, I'm talking about you, of course. But, uh, you know, it's just the idea that uh, there could be something for everybody there. It takes a commitment. It's a lot. I get that the uh, CSNS show is back after a, a, a little while, and it's, it's not going to be perfect. But certainly they have to be pleased with the way things were. And the idea that, uh, you know, we got a chance to do this, and that's what's important to me. So our podcast compatriot, Chris Bullfinch, was at the last Central States show that was held there, of course, in 2019. Uh, you mentioned the dealers who weren't there uh, come Saturday or even, uh, you know, certainly by Saturday afternoon. Uh, one of the dealers who's been interviewed on this podcast, Alan Berman, uh, I overheard him telling somebody on Saturday very, uh, you know, openly, look, I figure it's a, a, you know, an obligation 
moral obligation. The organizers say the show is this hour's. You know, I'm there uh, until the end as much as I can be. Certainly, the last day you might start packing up a little bit and and do that strategically in in phases. Thankfully, he's one of those guys who's who's there till the end generally for the most part. And uh, you know, like I say, other than maybe an hour or so at the end, because, you know, you, you do want people to walk in and, and feel welcome and feel, feel like their attendance that day was worthwhile. And not everybody is fortunate as you and I are to go to these shows for work. You know, a lot of folks are working during the week and can't get over there earlier on. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice that they feel like, there's enough uh, to make it worth their while to, you know, some of them, my gosh, if they're in suburban, uh, you know, the Indiana suburbs of Chicago, that would be quite a trek. And, you know, uh, to get there and half the folks are gone, that's, uh, you know, that might, might rub them the wrong way. I totally get it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in, in the truth, you know, I wasn't there till the very end. I didn't stay till the very end. I mean, I know correct. that there are others that were there. I mean, I am not criticizing those people because they have, they have to run their show the way they see fit. And certainly the obligations made it so I couldn't stay till the bitter end too. They had the same type of thing. So it would just, in an ideal world, it would just be nice if it happened like that, but it doesn't. And that's the reality of it. So you have to temper your expectations and knowing that maybe, you know, it's just like when you go to an amusement park and the ride shut down, well, you're disappointed by the fact you didn't get to ride that ride, but it couldn't be helped. So, you know, it's just the idea that in a perfect world, maybe things would have been better, but, you know, and and it's not, and this is not unique to the CSNS either. Definitely not unique. No. And, And I'm certainly guilty of leaving as well on Saturday, partly to go, spend time with family, but, you know, partly it's like, okay, you know, we've talked to so many folks and there's, there's, you know, been there so long. I like that the show was open late on Thursday till seven o'clock. That was, that day went by my gosh, uh, and was out on the bourse for all of it. And it just, it just flew by. So that was nice. And and maybe, maybe that's an answer that you have evening hours. I, I think, and you know, this is just my sort of spitball on here, a show that did from noon to nine o'clock at night and not every dealer's going to be there till the end again, you know, but on, on one or two of those nights during the week when people do have to work maybe till five o'clock, but they could pop in, you know, six o'clock till, till whenever that might do well. And certainly now that auctions have been shifted away from, shows, you know, that was always an issue. The auctions were being held at five, six o'clock at night, dinner time on. And well, now you don't have that at a lot of the shows. So I don't know, you know, I've never run a show. It, it's um, could be one of those things that sounds great in, you know, in, in the idea and then in practicality, it, it doesn't work. But I wonder, I wonder, you know, how many folks would take advantage of that if, 
if there were more evening hours. So yeah, anyway. that's the thing. I mean, it's 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 a whole lot easier to armchair quarterback something like this mm-hmm. than it is to actually do that. And I mean, there are some places where more personnel would be great to have. You know, sometimes some of the criticism about how long it took for registration, for, for let's say, or if you had a, a situation out on the floor and how long it took somebody to respond to that. I mean, if you remember this organization, volunteer to help. That's just, uh, you know, any of us can pitch in. It's easier just to pitch in and help out than it is to stand back with your arms crossed and go, well, they should do this and they should do that. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, until you, you know, walk a mile in the shoes type thing, because you talked about Thursday, the idea was, you know, with PNG day the day before, a lot of folks got things taken care of. But Thursday morning, I was there at eight o'clock to get my photo ID and, uh, you know, waited over an hour because, Board meeting ran long, you know, this, that, and the other, and uh, they, they made accommodations. But then when they opened up the doors to allow the public to get registered, it was incredible how long the line was. It's just, you know, the attraction of it can sometimes create longer lines and things don't go as quickly as you expect them to. So, again, you have to temper your expectations and kind of plan for it. If I knew that I had I had an 8.30 meeting, if I knew that I had an 8.30 meeting and I showed up at 8.30 expecting to walk in, well, the joke's on me because that's not going to happen. So you kind of plan for that. So it was good in that regard. Looking back on it now, I mean, nobody lost much over it. It was not a, a situation that should be, uh, you know, carried on forever and ever. It, nothing's perfect. It's a great facility. It was well run. It was very, you know, the, the participants seemed quite pleased with it. That's the idea. I haven't had a chance to talk to too many of the, some of the folks I talked to were successful in what they were trying to accomplish. Some of the folks that were even located at the back of the hall were very happy with the traffic they had. So it's just, you know, it depends on who you talk to and what the motivation was behind it. For us, the idea, it's unfortunate we weren't able to get a podcast recorded on site. That was our hope, but it didn't happen that way. But the critical thing to me was expanding the relationships. And it was great to be able to be standing there at the table, have somebody come up and ask a question or somebody, uh, you know, on the first day, I met a gentleman by the name of Greg Billman from the Northwest Coin Club up in Minneapolis. And they're going to be having a show coming up here very soon. But Greg and I were able to talk about the club and talk about a few things. And and that's very valuable to me. And also, you know, having folks come by, uh, Peter Zeng came by, was talking for a little bit. You know, Brandon was there uh, till the candy ran out. But, uh, you know, just the, the idea that, uh, you know, we had a lot of folks come by. and Come to think of it, that's about when I left, too. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, there, there's... There's a correlation there somewhere, but it's just the idea of the relationship. I mean, seeing the dealers and, and possibly making a deal, adding your collection, that's all fine and good. But to me, the idea is making the connections. And every show that I've gone to, I've been able to make some connections that have uh, you know, worked out. I mean, I go back to, oh, I mentioned Brandon, Brandon from Tinley Park. That's how he's going to be branded from now on. But uh, you know, I met him in August at, at Rosemont. And so I had something to look forward to. And when he walked through the door, it was great. And that's, yeah. I mean, you, on the other hand, I mean, me kind of relatively new into this thing. 
I mean, we should have set up times for you to be at the booth so that the lines would have been long. I mean, right by when, uh, you know, we have an author next door to us here that was a former podcast guest. He had a line. If we just said Jeff Stark is signing autographs at the Coin World booth, then we would have had a line as well because (laughs) I'm still looking for somebody you don't know. The only way anybody would have showed up to get my autograph is if it was on a check. (laughs) I didn't say how. I just said... (laughs) Yeah, but we had Mike Garofalo next door to us, and it was good to have good to meet Mike and see Mike, and yes. and uh, certainly his book, well worth uh, getting a hold of, and we appreciate him being on the podcast too. But again, it comes down to so much what the total experience is on it. It's not dollars and cents all the time. It's just the idea of the relationships and and seeing people that you've seen in past shows and seeing people that you've never met. And uh, just how you come out of there. I always had a saying back in the day in the automotive side, if you leave a convention with less work to do, then you didn't do your job. It's always best to leave there with more work to do and more relationships built and more things to do. And I think we're both both living the dream on that one. So it's unfortunate that we couldn't do the podcast there. We're going to have some coverage of it coming up in our May 23rd uh, issue of Coin World, And uh, hopefully you'll check that out. And congratulations to all of the award winners. Um, those educational exhibits were spectacular. I uh, can't, definitely can't talk enough about that. I mean, the effort that was put into that and the stories behind them, the, these individuals put so much into the, the work there just to educate them. It's an often overlooked area of the Bourse floor, but it should never be. I mean, it's just something to go there. When I talk about you need to come away from the show uh, with more work to do from our perspective, what you need to come away from a show with is more education and more understanding of vastness of this hobby and what it can mean for you. So congratulations. Even if you didn't win an award, the fact that you put your exhibit out there, those were all enjoyable. I still got to meet some folks that I had never met before. So that was fun. And I was able to add a few pieces to my collection. In fact, right here in my formerly nicotine stained, I mean, uh, in my hands, um, (laughs) stealing a famous line. I have a 1791 British East India Company, one and a half paise or 1.5 paise from the Soho Mint in Birmingham, England. And it's just a gorgeous coin. I've never seen one in hand before. 65 bucks. And it's, uh, it's just a classic copper coin. Love the um, British East India Company coins. I've written about the modern uh, iterations. That's that was probably my favorite uh, purchase. Other than you know, I got a handful of uh, silver at, at below melt and um, found a couple thematic coins for future coverage. Uh, get those photographed. It was just you know, it's it's all, there's always fun in that regard. But um, the connections, I, I've always said. Uh, it's great to go to these shows to see longtime friends and make new ones, and we certainly did this time. Yep, definitely so. And saw some great coins. I mean, the big four right across from us. It was great to see that. Yeah. Saw some. I mean, dealers had a lot of lot of good things. So if, whatever you're looking for, there's a good chance you're going to find it at a show of this magnitude. And uh, certainly want to encourage anyone to get out there and get to the opportunity to see a show, whether it be a local show that's held on a monthly basis or something that's held on an annual basis, certainly having the opportunity, because here again, we're on the backside of knowing what it's like not to have something like this. And that wasn't a good feeling. This most certainly is a better feeling. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we talk about 
the connections of the past and all that. It might be time to uh, delve into the past, though, and um, move forward with the show. Since you know we've talked a lot about central states, I don't know. Is there any is there any other factor or thing that you want to throw out before I move on? No, I think we're ready to talk about. And I think a good point would be you mentioned earlier your first central state show happened. Uh, 15 years ago. So that'd be a good point to take back to the past. Yeah. So uh, 2007, the show was in St. Louis, as I mentioned. So I go look to the May 7th, 2007 issue of Coin World for this week in Coin World history. And actually, there's a fun story in this issue. It's a feature story uh, written by yours truly. And I, I Vaguely remember, I mean, I know I wrote it. Um, uh, It was fun to put together, but uh, oh, the humanity, the 1937 Hindenburg disaster ended an era, but Zeppelins leave numismatic legacy. Uh, This was a story about the May 6th, 1937 crash of the Hindenburg. We've all seen the footage May 6, May 7, I think it happened overnight. Um, you know, 36 people died. It was uh, this um, almost 803-foot-long airship. And it has a um, really interesting numismatic legacy, whether it's um, particularly German medals uh, that were issued, like a Carl Goetz medal, uh, an American souvenir medal. Of course, um, there are... Other the Graf Zeppelin appears on multiple uh, German medals uh, that are popularly collected. The um, there's just some really neat stuff out there for the Hindenburg and and Zeppelins in general. Those that class of airships and uh, oh yeah, the German five mark coin from the 1930s has a Graf Zeppelin on it. So uh, that was fun to write about, and um, you know, for somebody looking for a topical area to pursue heavier than air flight metals and coins are an enormous area. And, and I, you know, I have to admit, this is how ignorant I was uh, as a, a young reporter at the time. It was Bill Gibbs who taught me that the proper phrase is heavier than air, you know, meaning that the, the ship, the vessel weighs, uh, weighs heavier than air. And uh, that's what you're talking about in flight. I have since in more recent times uh, added uh, some ballooning metals to my collection. And that's a, uh, that's a very popular area. You know, aviation is, is, was just so important to the development of the world uh, expansion, you know, from a military standpoint to a commercial standpoint. And there are many uh, touch points to that story, uh, whether it's uh, Lindbergh, which I've written about, and uh, that's fun, uh, fun to collect and see, or in this case, the Hindenburg. Uh, also, just, you know, quick thing on the issue, on the front page of the issue was coverage of the uh, presidential dollars with the edge lettering errors. And um, in, in in this case, we're talking uh, missing edge inscriptions. And, um you know, that helped give the nascent program at the time a, a boost in popularity. And of course, some folks were speculative at the time that was this intentional to get people 
looking for the coins? I don't think so, because who who wants people to go look for an error? You know, if if you make that error, then you're on the hook for it. You don't um, you don't want to encourage that, right? You don't want to uh, have egg on your face. But that was the big news of the issue. But I I wanted to go down memory lane with the uh, Zeppelin story. What jumped out to you, Larry, uh, from letters or any other coverage? Well, the presidential dollars get into these letters here, but they're not necessarily the focus of them. Uh, One of them says, unnoticed 50 cent. And the letter starts off, I guess no one really cares about the lowly half dollar anymore. I haven't seen any news about the lowest minted circulation quality coin since 1938, the 2006 D Kennedy half dollar. This circulation quality half dollar has less mintage, 2 million, then the 1970D half, 2.15 million, which now retails for around $15. I realize that all of the 2006D half dollars were issued only for collectors and that they will all be held in collections, if not lost or stolen from here on in. But so were the 1970D Kennedy half dollars. For all the promotions that the state quarter dollars have received and the presidential dollars will receive with their hundreds of millions in production, you would think that someone would have noticed the halves. The 2060 half dollar is no longer available from the U.S. Mint, and I would be willing to bet that those who have a few may start holding on to them. That's from Kurt Miller of Those Old Coins in Weathersfield, Connecticut. Then there was another letter and says, retailers like them. Without realizing it, Rick Wilcox, from a previous letter, puts his finger right on the problem of eliminating paper dollars and replacing them with dollar coins. Wilcox laments the fact that his bank received 2,000 Washington presidential dollar coins, but after the first two days found that there were no more interest in the coins. He said the bank still has more than 1,000 of these coins, and the teller said they might have to pass them out just to get rid of them. The bank would not order any more of the Washington dollars. Well, duh, that's exactly what the teller should be doing with those coins, encouraging their use by offering them in cash whenever possible. Most non-numismatic people don't even know that their coins do exist, and so will need to be encouraged to use them. Of course, the bank won't order any more of the coins if they aren't being preferentially offered by the tellers. Customers should be given the opportunity to say no thanks, of course, but at least they will have to become aware of them and possibly encouraged to use them. It has been my albeit limited experience that retailers are delighted to be offered one or more of these coins. They immediately brighten up the novelty of them, and in fact, often will call a fellow retailer over to look at them. Wilcox needs a different bank if his tellers keep these coins in the back of the drawer and preferentially try not to use them. That letter comes from Richard Rice of Palm Desert, California. I always heard one of the things that the merchants didn't like about him was that there wasn't a spot in the change drawer for him. So maybe I'm wrong. I will say, and it has been a while, but when I was in high school and college, I worked in retail and there absolutely was a spot for a dollar coin and uh, in the cash drawer. And we always had one side of, of both the paper money repository and the coin side, one, you know, slot, if you will, that was available 
And sometimes we would put rolled coins in the far left position uh, of the paper money section and then would put half dollars or dollars uh, in the rare case that we encountered them uh, in that far left front position of of the um, cash drawer. So, you know, now maybe uh, there are other cash drawers out there that don't accommodate or can't accommodate, but that certainly was the case for me at Sears Hardware. I don't even know if it's around anymore and Walgreens. So, and Hey, that was 2003, basically the last uh, full year or you know, when I was working there. So, I mean, it's been a while, but that wasn't too far removed. You know, that wasn't too long before the $2,007 came out. So, Right. Who knows? I, I don't know. Like I said, that was almost 20 years ago. Things may be different now. My experience uh, does not necessarily stand to be indicative of reality. Your mileage may vary, as the kids say. And uh, as we go with the disclaimer, <laughs> the opinions voiced on this podcast are not necessarily those of anybody <laughs> except us. <laughs> Yes. Yes. So um, (laughs) I have to say we're exploring the past and let's stay in one of the central states, states, Missouri. Big surprise. This week in numismatic history, this is a, a U.S. story that had global implications because it was on May 7th, 1969, that Congress authorized a gold medal in honor of Winston Churchill, specifically the Winston Churchill Memorial and Library at Westminster College in Fulton, Missouri. I have been there as a devotee of Churchill. Uh, I've gone to see some Churchillian sites in London. Uh, Delighted to say that I have two trips to London now planned for this year, one in just about three weeks and uh, another, hopefully, um, you know, it's it's scheduled for uh, late September, the Coinex show. Uh, I just booked that and... um, I really appreciate Churchill and and what uh, he represents to world history. I believe he was Time's man of the first half century, right, in 1950 or, or, or thereabouts. Why and are you asking me? I wasn't around. I'm I'm not asking. I'm I'm stating uh, with a, the caveat of you know I I'm fairly certain I I've written about him. I plan to write about him in the future. There's I have several Churchill related coins and medals. Uh, including a 20-pound that he's on, a British pound, uh, plus a five-pound note. And um, a- anyway, uh, I-, I just thought, hey, that's fun because it's it's U.S. I mean, you know, Congress, uh, Congressional Gold Medal, but it's Churchill. So, um, you know, that uh, there again, you know, for folks who are into World War II history or are certified Anglophiles like myself, that medal actually is um, – Used to be available. There, there's a bronze or copper version and a silver version. And as recent as maybe ten years ago, I contacted that museum and and ordered a couple examples. All they had left was bronze. They don't have any now because I asked when I visited with my friend in 2017, and um, 
it's it's a neat little thing they they brought over the church of St. Aldermanbury, I think it's called piece by piece they took it apart and put it back together here across the pond that of course is the site of his famous iron curtain speech uh, which uh, you know is is important for global geopolitics in the second half of the 20th century and uh, yeah, he's he's Congressional Gold Medal, Medal recipient. We've discussed Congressional Gold Medals in the last month, maybe a couple times. So it that felt right. And hey, it's it's Missouri, and that's one of the central states states. So um, how about that? <laughs> that that works. I just checked the gift shop; they have a Winston Churchill rubber ducky, but no. no <laughs> With so. a cigar, I'm betting. Um, you've got absolutely right. <laughs> yep. Must have two or three of them at your uh, at your beck and call right I, now. I I do not, rubber okay. ducky. You're mm-hmm. my friend. <laughs> that that's but, the that's the only pet I could keep alive <laughs> or, or not kill. How about that? That's the only I'd probably pet. drown it. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I mean, it's just, it's a work of art for sure. So thanks for, uh, let's catch up on the history here, but uh, we have the unfinished business of a trivia question from our last episode with our friend, Dan Sedwick, where you ask a trivia question. Do you recall what that was? I do. So Dan mentioned because of his location there in Winter Park, Florida, Dan mentioned Rollins College because that's where his father taught or went or both, um, I think definitely taught. In any event, that got me thinking, Rollins College. Rollins College has a numismatic connection. Most people do not know. The only way you might know is if you are a devotee of the early commemorative coin program. And even then, it's a leap to make that assumption because the, the college itself certainly is not honored on an early commemorative coin. Well, what is the connection? That's what I asked you, I believe. What is the connection? How are they connected? And what do you know? Maybe, maybe you can unlock the answer. Do you have any idea? You may have gone and done some research. I don't know. Well, actually, I have an advantage here. And I think it was brought up in our talk with Dan is the fact that I am in Central Florida. And uh, the idea, Rollins College has, you know, an extensive commitment to the arts. And so one of the first things when I thought of when I heard the question here was because we know there was no Rollins College commemorative or anything like that. So because of their, you know, commitment to the arts that they had, especially in the 30s, then it probably had something to do with design. And so, I mean, yeah, I just I knew there was some sculpture programs and some things. I mean, because nearby Arcadia, there is a massive three by four sculpture. It's actually a piece that is in the post office. It's very famous. In fact, it's one of the ones that they talk about in the, uh, in the tourism brochures. And it was done by a sculptor by the name of Constance Ortmeier. And I remember from doing some of the researches for the coin value spotlights and, and looking at some of the different names of the designers. And that name, certainly when you hear it, it, you remember it. So I'm taking a chance on this one that maybe that's where the connection might be, that she had some correlation. I do believe she had a Rollins College connection, and I do believe at least one commemorative, she had a hand in that. So that's, that's where I'm going to flail. Not fail but flail. Yes. Astute observation and um, 
you know, making the connection. Uh, it is Ortmeyer. And uh, I was, this was one of the pieces that, you know, I'm not at the end of my career, right? But I look back at what I've done so far and I go, yeah, this is a point of pride. This was, this was a lot of work. It was, uh, it took some digging and uh, I'm appreciative that CoinWorld gave me the the room t- that it took, the time that it took in, in this case to chase the story down, even though it took quite a while, because I, I think what I, what we published ca- has come to be sort of uh, a definitive overview of her numismatic career and a, a recap of her artistic life. Ortmeyer was a professor at Rollins College, and during her life, she was called upon to create the design for the Cincinnati Music Center commemorative coin, half dollar. This was a coin that celebrated an organization that didn't really exist in an anniversary that never happened. Uh, it is one of those spurious excesses of, of the commemorative coin program at, you know, at the zenith of, of the program's excesses, 1936. It's, it's really one of the reasons that uh, that program was put on hiatus for like 15 years before the, um, the Booker T coin would come out in like 51, I think. So, you know, it's not a particularly popular design and and coin it's it's not like the the captain cook hawaii coin or you know the oregon trail or even for that matter the missouri sesquicent or the missouri centennial coin with daniel boone and all that i mean it's it's not an artistic tour de force it's it certainly is good and important but she did as you well may know she designed or did the artwork for a couple post offices, one there in Florida, one in Alabama. And we had um, folks get images of those sculpt, not sculptures of those paintings. She did uh, a medal, the Henry Holt medal for Rollins college president. And she was a well-known just professor and, and left an imprint with educating the college students, the art students that went through Rollins College. So good on you. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, I just don't know if I can keep this up. Um, I got nothing for you. You got something for me? Yeah, and we're, we're talking about uh, central states. So this is kind of an easy one. I think you'll, you'll know at least the first one, if not the second. We were just at the blank anniversary convention. What number anniversary convention did we just attend? Uh, that speaks to the organization's life and importance. You know, it's been around a little while. Uh, so what is that number, the anniversary? And how many states comprise or compose the central states region? You can rattle off them, the, the states by name, but I really, I don't know that, you know, that's necessary. How many states are in central states and what was their anniversary that we were just at, which was probably on the program that we both picked up at the show. So you should yeah. get that easy. Slam um, dunk. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no doubt about that. But again, I want to thank the fine folks at the Central State Numismatic Society 
for the convention, for the hospitality, for the opportunity to witness that. And uh, certainly uh, we, we appreciate, look forward to, uh, you know, th- these things. Uh, these This is a hardworking group of people that uh, really definitely care about the hobby and care about, you know, making sure that we keep moving it forward in this generation and for generations to come, certainly because of the extensive uh, history that they have and continue to make history with what they do. So we thank you for being a listener here on our Coin World podcast. We have a passel of guests lined up for future episodes. We're going to start bringing them to you on the next episode. We've got a great guest that uh, Chris and Jeff have gotten together with, and uh, we'll continue to uh, raise the bar here on some of your uh, numismatic learning. Our thanks to Coin World Plus once again for their support of this podcast. We're glad that you continue to listen to us. Please subscribe to us as we're now pushing over 160 episodes, getting some favorable comments. We appreciate those. Always love to hear from you. Make sure you take advantage of those chances because you're not going to get us sitting at a coin convention every week. So we do answer emails every now and again. If Jeff can't answer it, then I try to. But Jeff answers most of them. I, I will admit that. So yeah, and uh, anyway. I, I'm just trying to get over what fancy word did you use? We got a lot of guests coming up. You don't have to get all ten gallon hat, a uh, ten gallon word on everybody. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. At least of which me. So uh, we're excited for what we have in the pipeline. Uh, you're going to have to just stay tuned for for those. Uh, shows and of course until next time happy collecting thank you for listening to the coin world podcast don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week coin world plus is your new way to collect manage your inventory digitally authenticate coins create your want list buy and sell coins and much more Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at CoinWorldPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store.